Hello and welcome to the Forward Onto Dawn podcast. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined by usual co-host, Danny. Hello. And today we have a special guest, Heropsis. Wait, wait, wait. Heropsis. Damn it, we just covered this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, so people will basically know me as somebody who writes an awful lot about Halo, basically. Um, I began back in 2013, uh, around the end of that year, just looking for a writing project to do over the summer. And it has since, in the four years that have passed, sort of exploded as to something that I do very regularly uh, and enjoy because, you know, it's really fun to get into the nitty-gritty details of any part of the Halo universe and talk that through with other people. Since we're a similar Halo lore site, we aren't going to disagree. Um, <laughs> but we've actually gathered uh, you here uh, to talk about something that is kind of uh, Halo lore related, but also uh, more general Halo news. Mm. Um, last week, Waypoint, which is the... Uh, not Halo Waypoint, but the... Uh, Vice's video games uh, sort of sub-label uh, came out with... Yeah, I was confused by that the, as well. Yeah, <laughs> the complete untold history of Halo in oral history. And it's a pretty crazy, not quite book length, I guess it would be a novella uh, length um, oral history, as it says. Yeah, 35,000 yeah, words, I think Something like that. Do you think they, do you think they tracked some people? Do you, do you give interviews for this thing and they were giving interviews for Waypoint? Like the Halo Waypoint? <laughs> <laughs> I see some of the current Microsoft employees going, who's this? Okay, I'll just do this interview. Yeah, sure, whatever. I assume they went lead with Vice, but you never know. Um, And so it interviews uh, 16 people from what we know. uh, Some of the interviews, it's been uh, in the works for a really long time. Some of the interviews are about a year old, which factors into some parts of it. But it's probably the most, the closest we've gotten to a history of Halo um, complete mm. history of Halo. Complete yeah. is a very, uh, very ambitious word that it uses, which uh, isn't quite there, but it's definitely perhaps the most complete yeah. version of it's, the history of Halo that we've had. This far. seems like you would you would turn this article into the full sized book um, mm. at some point. Uh, but it's. I think it's safe to say it's a definitive oral history in terms of from the inside perspective that we've mm. got so far. Yeah, and I, I do think probably the one of the most interesting things is that, of course, it's got uh, a lot of the big guys that everyone knows in Halo. It's got uh, Alex Seropian, uh, Jamie Grissomer, uh, Marty O'Donnell spends plenty of time talking, Joe Staten. It's also got, I guess, what you would call sort of the, the B-string, not in that the quality, but just people who have popped up in Halo but aren't probably as well-known, mm-hmm. like uh, Ed Freeze from Microsoft Game Studio, uh, Max Hoberman, who did uh, Halo 2's multiplayer, works at Certain Affinity. Um, and then it's got a couple of the now former uh, and current 343 people, like Dan Ayub and Kiki Wolfkill. Uh, it's also got some people that I don't think I've ever heard about talking about, like uh, Stuart Mulder, who was a general manager of Microsoft Game Studios in the early days, uh, Peter Tamte, uh, who was Bungie's executive vice president and who I had never heard of before this story. No, neither had I. Yeah. And I think there is uh, uh, some of the most interesting stuff, along with uh, Ryan Payton, who I think some people, if they follow the nitty-gritty of Halo 4, know was uh, Halo 4's original creative director, and then he wasn't. Yes. And that's probably one of the more interesting things we'll talk about later on. Mm. But yeah, as you, as you say, it's definitely ambitious. It, might, it doesn't hit all the marks. Um, but I think as someone who knew a lot of, like we've gotten retrospectives on like Halo 2 and Halo, less on Halo 3, we've gotten some Halo 4 stuff this was one of the first that really tried to bridge them all together. Um, and it mm. gave a lot more background detail than I think we'd gotten before. Yeah. Cause for the halo one, and halo two stuff, we, that's a lot of that isn't really new information, but there was stuff on three and four in particular that I think was really quite illuminating that we hadn't actually heard before. It was new information. Yeah. And just, I think a lot of the, the interesting stuff for the, or the new 
uh, it wasn't new ground, but just some of the details uh, that popped up in Halo 1 and Halo 2 were really interesting, where we'd gotten mm. the story, but we'd never gotten some of these specific vignettes um, that really paint a much more interesting picture than I think uh, a lot of people mm. believed. And I think, at least personally, I was really interested in, in talking about this as soon as I finished reading it, because Danny sent it my way. Uh, I wanted to talk <laughs> about it because I think, for a couple of things, because it's interesting uh, both from the 343 side, um, but also the the Bungie era of Halo in that, to me, it sort of comes off as the sort of, we've had this this history of Halo by Bungie and sort of like this this great account and this kind of punctures a bunch of holes and like this, this mythos that has kind of bubbled up and inflated over time, especially in the Halo community. Yes. People have a sort of, um, immaculately conceived <laughs> vision for how some of these things came about. And, uh, there's a nice cold, hard dose of reality to, uh, some of those perspectives, I think in this house. Yeah. And, um, uh, Danny just brought up right before we were recording that uh, there's um, a follow-up um, from Marcus Leto, who's one of the people who was interviewed this in this, and he said basically that it was clear that the the author was searching for a certain angle, and it was not one that particularly would portray Bungie in a a great light, and so he refused a follow-up interview. Um, at the same time, that doesn't refute anything in the article. It's just you kind mm. of have to take this this might be sort of the the VH1 behind the music uh look at halo but it's of course just another perspective that we haven't gotten before and not yeah. necessarily something that overwrites that immaculate conception view that we had it's a shame really yeah because you know for the author to have sort of gone into this with the intention of not so much uh, you know, of wanting to make a point in a way, which uh, sort of overrode the point of just doing the history. It's sort of like there had to be a kind of a hook for it, like, oh, there was this kind of negative aspect to it that we're going to focus on more than the overall overarching facts. Yeah, and so I, I definitely think the the value of this, um, to me as a Halo fan, comes from what it adds, not as a, a definitive story on its own, but what mm. we've learned that fills in the gaps from, like, as you said, we know a lot about Halo 1 and Halo 2's development, and this just slots in some interesting stuff that we hadn't known before. Mm. So do we want to kind of go through it uh, chronologically and talk about things that stood out to us as we go? Yeah, as an yeah. aside, first thing, I think uh, we've really got to praise the artwork oh, yeah. done by, I believe her name is Erica June, I think, her Twitter handle being Aura Hack, but the pieces that she did for this, I was I was glued to the screen looking at them. The one of Installation 04's control room in particular, that looks, it's got kind of like the transistor kind of uh, visual style, and I really like it. Mm -hmm. I almost want to play a game with that visual aesthetic. Yeah, the, it's just the whole, like the whole glitchy, thing looks wonderful. Glitchy look to it. Yeah. One of the interesting uh, bits uh, from the Halo the, when we start out and they start talking about Halo's development, one of the interesting things is that I don't think I had realized how late Halo's story actually came together and that it basically was yes. just a bunch of interesting futuristic gameplay elements that hadn't even been given any real connections. Well, you see, this is interesting because it gets into what the part of the uh, article that's not in there regarding Eric Troutman, um, the guy who ran Halo's franchise team, I believe, who effectively saved the fall of Reach, the expanded universe as a whole, from being killed as Bungie wanted it back then. Uh, Eric Nyland talked about this in a Facebook post, uh, not a Facebook post, on his blog. And he said, you know, the, we owe thanks to this man for, you know, saving such a critical aspect of the Halo universe. Uh, and Troutman had some kind of Don Corleone-esque deal <laughs> where him saving the fall of Reach meant that him, Brannon Boren, and Matt Sowell, I believe, names uh, who are also significant in Halo's history and were referenced uh, a couple of times, uh, they had to write the majority of Halo 1. 
Yeah, that's that's actually someone should really just basically take this entire article, copy and paste it, and then just annotate in these little side stories that we've gotten. Because um, it, you just there are yeah there is that um, which I don't which was another one of those like wait is Bungie the bad guy uh, stories from <laughs> a while ago where they talked about how they really hated the fall of Reach um, and that they were doing this other thing and it's uh, which ties back into this because. Um, one of the things that we knew, and I think this uh, article really elucidates on, is how pissed off the the Bungie uh, rank and file were about the Microsoft acquisition. Uh, and yeah. I wrote the wrote the the Wikipedia article on Bungie where they talk about how it was a huge culture shift, and they they complain that about where they wanted to stick them. But I had never gotten little details like the fact that they were working at one point across from the Microsoft Encarta guys, which mm. just goes to show like how clearly this was not a good culture fit from the start and that they they had separate key cards and would tow microsoft employees out of their parking lot it uh doesn't sound like a positive start to any to a relationship at all yeah and uh and marty specifically calls out uh ed freeze for being one of the few people at microsoft who started to get bungie and probably helped the relationship last a lot longer than it would have otherwise because we've seen this alluded to in a couple of documentaries where they you know they've really sort of talked softly about that uh, that early relationship you know they they sort of you know put it down to sticking it to the man and whatever but they don't go into the nitty gritty details and what we see in this article is the blood and guts of that relationship really yeah um other interesting things i pulled out uh was that peter tamty was the link to getting how uh they ended up showing Steve Jobs Halo before E3 uh, 1999 mm. or Macwell 1999 and how it ended up on the main stage. Uh, and then there was apparently some, they had to go after Microsoft acquired Bungie, they had to kind of go on the phone and, and apologize to Steve, <laughs> which totally jives with what everyone talks about with Steve Jobs. It seems like something that he would do. Um, yeah. It just seems like such a, a sudden shift, really, to, to sort of go, hey, you've got this game called Halo. Oh, no, sorry, you don't have it anymore. And um, this, the other thing the article really hammers home, which had come out um, previously, uh, Marty, I think, talking about it on a Bungie podcast was the first time, like, I think they really explained that uh, the Myth 2 uninstall bug, where if you installed Myth to the root section of your hard drive, I believe, and uninstalled it, would wipe everything in that, in that part of your drive. So if you installed it in like a yeah. base file, part of your file system, it could destroy your computer that it did totally hose the company financially. Um, and that's where, uh, Tamti came in because he was basically brought into, Hey, we're in trouble. Like you need to figure out how to write the ship. Yeah. Cause they, uh, they recalled all those copies of, uh, myth two, didn't yeah. they? They spent a lot of money. That's what they spent their money yeah, on. It said at least like a million dollars. And for Bungie at that time, that was a lot of money. Uh, oh, yeah. so that Tamti well, in the video game industry at the time that was a lot of money in general <laughs> yeah and so Tamti was sort of one of the, the the missing links I think in the the Bungie story that we didn't hear before about how they ended up becoming like this part of the max focus on gaming ha 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 and then ultimately <laughs> ending up uh, with Microsoft but another thing that that sort of illustrates to me is uh, you know the origins of Halo where it started out as an RTS, as a bit of a safe bet in a way in terms of genre from Bungie because they were quite seasoned in that. And then it moved to a third-person shooter with a sort of semi-open world. And then it became an FPS. It's interesting because you'll notice how there's very little in the way of like an aesthetic change across it. There are obviously things that evolved and, you know, took more sort of you know took greater form but the color the style the characters the setting that was definitively halo and that very much stayed consistently recognizable i think and it makes an interesting statement as to how potentially experimental halo could get with other genres in the future <laughs> that sounds like wishful thinking from a fan there oh very wishful <laughs> thinking because you know every time you know frank o'connor or someone will say hey i had this great idea for a halo game but we can never make it uh, it's you know it's really quite sad 
because you hear these great ideas and you know you'll even come up with great ideas in your head like oh halo could do this and it'd be awesome but now we've got to stick to a traditional fps which you know doesn't really seem to be the core of the series for me personally Mm -hmm. yeah and i think a lot of other people too us law fans especially you know we we want things we can't have all um, the time. one of the other uh, little quotes i pulled out which is interesting is because obviously we know now that microsoft probably would have not succeeded without halo being its killer app um but they, they pull a quote from uh stuart molder about how basically even at the time they pretty much realized that halo was what they had best um and he, he brings up uh, we hope third parties would have some good titles we had halo we had munch's odyssey which because does anyone remember that that's that's like one of those i only remember (laughs) it because it had the weird name like that's that's a saw uh and there was this this game called azuric that former microsoft chief technology officer jay allard had started which was a piece of (laughs) so we're going so we knew nothing was going to come from that and so they said it was kind of all on halo which is also an interesting uh side of things God, Jay Allard, that name takes me back. Along what we were talking about, how the story wasn't really all together until late. The fact that Marty specifically says that Joe said there was no story at the point that they were doing the E3 announcement. And so he had to uh, come up with the music, not knowing anything about anything about the story, which was kind of amazing. That it was just the ancient epic. Ancient epic. uh, Aliens. Yeah. Which we had, we had heard that part before, but not with the context of mm-hmm. yeah. And there's nothing else. There's some aliens and <laughs> a guy in a jeep, and that's it. That's about it. Um, and then the the poll that I, I shared on Halo Archive when we people were talking about this, the fact that at one point the shotgun was not in the game, they were going to have to cut oh, the shotgun. No. Oh no! And that is just crazy. <laughs> I would have cried if that was the case. If that ended up just oh. The the flood levels in Halo 1, you know, I love them to death, but they're bad enough, even with the shotgun. And the sniper doesn't do anything against the flood in Halo 1 as yeah. well, so I almost would have rather that that was Yeah, it's, although it's kind of weird to imagine truth and reconciliation without the sniper insertion, like, totally changing mm-hmm. it. It's funny how we take these things for granted, just base weapons, and it was really tricky for them to implement them into the game. And I I think that's a good thing that this highlights too, is that everyone knows about how rocky Halo 2's uh, development was, but this really focuses on how rocky it was for Halo 1, 2, and the fact that they were, that multiplayer really wasn't, like at one point they weren't sure they were going to have a story, multiplayer was definitely not going to be in at a long point. Um, It's like all this stuff that we take for granted. They're like, whoa! (laughs) Almost wasn't there. I think that's a matter of retrospective on the part of fans like ourselves. We we cherish those modes and features so much that we hold them up in that little pedestal of greatness when, in fact, the fact that they're even functioning apparently was a, a matter of luck. Oh, I did have one last thing to say about Halo 1, actually. And it was... Oh, it was just that Halo 1's awesome. And I love it. <laughs> I want to go on the record and have that, you know, have that down. I love Halo One. I agree. Oh, actually, that that did remind me. I had two last things written down. One that Marty was the one who wanted to save Sergeant Johnson at the end of the game, and everyone thought that was stupid because no one was going to care about Sergeant Johnson, which could just be <laughs> Marty like talking about how amazing and like Ouija board president he is. But if it's true, it's hilarious. And then also the fact that all the arrows. Uh, in the backtracking levels were added because of a single tester. And yes. I thank that tester <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. Very much uh, so. Saber Interactive does not get enough credit for realizing that they should add arrows in the library in the anniversary graphics, which helps me too, because I get lost way more in that level than any other one. Oh, really? Because they they try to they put uh, subtle lighting cues and sort of more detail in one particular area than another to sort of try and visually project the direction that you're I supposed mean, to go. I mean, maybe that works, maybe it doesn't. I honestly don't know, but just having the arrows was like, okay, thank you. Because I would always like get yeah. totally confused <laughs> by when it jumps underneath in those little areas and I would go too far and ugh, 
It was miserable. Yeah, there's like one little underground tunnel bit where there's an arrow sort of as you're facing the tunnel pointing towards uh, one direction and then like a meter across is an arrow pointing the other direction and it's very clear that you've got to be in the middle of those two arrows and that's where you need to go. Uh, I'm very grateful for that. Okay, and so uh, the bit about how we kind of take features for granted now kind of ties in uh, really well to probably the most interesting thing for me from the Halo 2 bit, which I don't think had ever come out before. And that's the fact that originally Halo 2 was going to have a Warzone-like mode and Mm. everything we love about Halo 2's multiplayer was basically an accident of the fact that they ran out of time and told Max Hoberman to make something. (laughs) It's really fun. I was laughing almost at that bit because it seems like the multiplayer part of Halo 2 not to say that it went smoothly, but it wasn't this crashing storm that was, you know, the rest of the, the entire rest of the game. It was like Max Hoberman was in a sort of different kind of universe. Yeah, he was at the eye of the storm. Everything around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everything else around him is exploding and blowing up. And then he's just sort of like sat there twiddling his thumbs, you know, coming up with this really awesome stuff. And then, you know, everyone else is just in chaos. Yeah, well, it kind of sounded like it might have turned out partially why it turned out so well is that no one was paying attention and freaking out about it because they didn't really care about it. And then, so he was just sitting, iterating, polishing it. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you're now in charge of everything because we have to get this shipped. (laughs) It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it is amazing just how much of what we come to value of this series was a happy accident. Yeah, you just never know now. Uh, in other Halo 2 stuff that jumped out at me, um, in the past, I want to say, like, three years or so, we started getting more information about uh, some of Bungie's canceled projects, including Phoenix. Yes. And, but this, I think, was one of the first... I, I think Jason Jones described it as sort of like this... Oh, it was like, kind of like this Minecraft thing with like real-time strategy elements, and you had a castle you could build up. And here they talk about, like, well, it was mostly like a alternating sides castle siege thing, but either way, like, it never really got off the ground um, in terms of working, but ju- that it just became this passion project. And this is where I think one of the interesting sort of alternate theories proposed by this article uh, comes up is that Jason Jones is really incidental to the success of Halo, uh, <laughs> uh, even to the point where it's like basically. Uh, especially when they start talking about Halo 2, that Alex Seropian had been sort of the one keeping everyone together, um, managing the business. And then once Halo got huge and there were all these expectations, Bungie politics started spiking once Alex left. Yes, and Jason went on his long sabbatical for uh, for that soul-searching after uh, after the, you know, being in... Well, Halo 2's development was essentially its own level of hell, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, and so they, they talk about uh, Phoenix and Gypsum and that they had been kicking around since uh, CE and Jason Jones. It seems like he kind of wanted to, to go off and do that, but they everyone kept on getting sucked back in uh, to finish up Halo 2 in time. So those projects just never ended up anywhere. Just a dustbin of history. Mm. Interesting to see what might have, uh, might have come yeah, of those. I, I mean, they sound kind of cool, but then again, like, any game can sound cool. It's really the execution. Yeah. So yeah, that was the uh, the other bit that stuck out uh, about that. The timeline for some of the Halo 2, Halo 3 Reach stuff starts to get screwy, but they also talk a lot about starting with the Halo 2 stuff. The uh, Lost Peter Jackson project uh, that came out of the Halo movie yes, Chronicles, Chronicles, which sounds weirder than I think anyone expected. <sighs> Yeah, I remember when see, seeing like news items come up about that back in 2008, 2009, back when that was like, you know, in the process of even when it was just rumors and everyone was talking about it. And I don't think I imagined it would be anything close to what is described in yeah, this article. Yeah, with this whole bit about basically like becoming a Promethean and like oh my god Prometheans yeah. all the lore people are like Prometheans <laughs> Halo 3 like Aaron what's going on yeah that it it's weird in that it also there's the subtle implication in the article that basically Neil Blomkamp might have kind of cribbed at least the turning into the alien gun part of things for 
his District <laughs> 9 movie. Do you know, the impression I've got of Neil Blomkamp ever since Landfall and uh, he wasn't working on the Halo movie is that the films he's been making has just been sort of aspects of Halo that he was going to implement in there. I mean, you know, Elysium has got a friggin' Halo ring in it, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've never, since I haven't talked to you about this, I want to digress briefly. Are you in the, I would have loved to have seen a Blomkamp Halo or... I am so happy that movie did not get made. I am sort of in the middle between them because uh, I, I can't remember some of the detail. I remember, like, wasn't there some very strange-looking Sangheili model that didn't look at all like a Sangheili that was yeah, going to be in that film? Yeah, there was weird stuff. And I, yeah, I remember there being some strange stuff. I wouldn't have liked that, I don't think. But I'd have been interested to see... You know, from from like a film perspective, how they would have handled the story and, you know, all the sort of building blocks of how you would translate Halo into a film format. Because my, I read the, uh, I think it's Alex yeah, Garland's Garland script. script for the Halo 1 adaptation. And my God, the only, like, the only way from there was up, to be honest. I don't know. I, I personally liked... There's there's some weird quippy stuff, but I really love parts of it, like the um, the whole intro with how like art we have to explain that he's the last of his kind and that they fled this this horrible uh, defeat on Reach and this whole dream sequence, which I really like, and then uh, some of the concessions they make to the fact that they have to alter the story since it's not a game uh, where they basically have Jenkins blow his face off in front of the chief because he's so <laughs> traumatized by the flood. That stuff's wild, but it actually works. I, I, the, the Chief Cortana thing gets kind of weird, creepy. Yeah, and Fohammer as well. There's some kind of like weird kind of implied romance with Fohammer. Yeah, that stuff wasn't wasn't as good. But personally, after seeing District Nine, I was like, that was an interesting movie. I am so glad we did not see him do Halo because like the shaky cam stuff and the and the the gun point of view shots in that movie, I was like, oh man, this would have been mm. in Halo and have been terrible. Yeah, I'm surprised anyone has an appetite for live action Halo after after the amazing Nightfall experience. <laughs> I actually hold the unpopular opinion of quite liking Nightfall. Um, by no means is it a great piece of Halo fiction at all, but I feel like. There was a certain level of expectation as to what that story would be based on the setting, and I can completely understand why people are disappointed with that and a lot of the aspects in it. But I think it's got some great stuff I in there. I have not watched it since it came out. All I really remember was not liking it that much, being annoyed that it was a Golo instead of the Flood, yes. and that the second stories were more interesting than what was going on in the actual... <laughs> the... That much I can definitely agree with, yeah. Well, with the shoehorning in of a new, a new Covenant species, that was... Beyond hit. Mm-hmm. Like, just little things like that. Just why? Why did they do that? Because they didn't want to spend money on the CGI for one of the actual Covenant races, Yeah, where did you, you... You're the one who said that, like... Weren't you the one who said that you had some, like, background scuttlebutt that they showed up at the thing and found out that Ridley Scott and company had yeah. basically created the alien, and so they had to backfill it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that was exactly what happened. Yeah, really, Scott pushed for the the new alien it was his thing, and they couldn't turn him down because he refused to back down on it. So they said, "Fuck it, go for it." The Covenant fringe. <laughs> so if that's true, it's amazing. Yeah, it's totally true. Totally uh, true. I know it for a fact. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, if they'd actually done more with that and made it more interesting, I could have gotten behind it. But as it stands, it's just. You know, it's something that just exists yeah. without much purpose or sort of, you know, beyond... It, it's a concept that's in there, and it's not really doing anything. And it hasn't done anything for over th- for about three years well, now. Well, because if they didn't want to put it in the first place, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Cortana mentioned the on it said in Halo 5, that kind. Yeah, that's, right? the, that's the breadcrumb. Yeah, yeah. We have references. <laughs> okay, anything else about Halo 2? Halo 2 was also a great game. <laughs> I, I didn't. I never loved it. I know everyone says how great it was. I missed the online buzz for it. So I got to play it after playing Halo 1, and I was like, what is this mess? Why can't they do this? What the hell is these guns? I was not happy with Halo 2. I liked the ending, personally. I, I 
hold uh, apparently I'm part of a minority who felt that Halo 2 earned its cliffhanger ending and I feel like the ending that they've described for how it would have gone forward didn't at all fit the tone and the theme of the overall game yeah it's kind of uh, this is I guess that's uh, something that comes up here we always knew that there was a third um a bit that got cut at the end of Halo 2 where Master Chief and Arbiter reunite and basically finish the fight by uh, killing Truth at what was the Ark at that time, which became the portal to the Ark. I'm kind of, it's like one of those things where, again, like hearing about it, it could have worked, but it's hard to say whether, Yeah, because I, I, I think Halo 3, like I love Halo 2's story. I hate replaying it. And I totally understand why people <laughs> hated the Arbiter because he gets terrible flood levels that I hate. And I love the flood in, in Halo CE. It's just was oh, always yeah, a chore in Halo it. 2. But it's hard to say whether or not it would have been better that way than Halo 3. Obviously, if they had ended it that way, we might not have gotten the franchise we love now. Mm. But it's hard to say. Because they had that cliffhanger due to necessity, we did get Halo 3. We did. I wasn't personally all that happy with Halo 3 myself, but I do feel personally that it was preferable if only for its setup for the future uh to what they described halo 2's ending was going to be because it just sounds like they sort of had the covenant level from halo 3 and they were going to have that as like the last mission of halo 2 Mm -hmm. and that would be it yeah and i mean because halo 3 definitely feels like oh we have to turn this last level into a a whole campaign because the first third of the game nothing is really happening from a narrative standpoint (laughs) yes i think it i think it earns its emotional ending but here uh the article goes into basically a lot more about the details of the the bungie microsoft split um and here it also leans into the the bungie politics side because it basically sounds like once again jason jones kind of he had burned out so bad on halo 2 he went off to do his own thing but no one really knew what the hell was going on with him gone, besides the fact that they needed mm. to make Halo 3. There were people who were behind uh, like these seven people who were involved in all the negotiations with Microsoft, but they were siloed off from everyone else, so there was like this animosity yeah. of like what's going on, like what are we doing? Um, that was interesting. I mean, even Joe Staten took, uh, took a sabbatical away and he wasn't involved in the writing of Halo 3. He was a script editor at the end. And that's that was new information because it's long been just sort of held like, oh, yeah, Joe Staden, he did Halo 3. He did that story. But I've never felt that Halo 3's story really spoke to his sensibilities as a writer. It never felt like a Joe Staden story. Yeah. In terms of sort of the typical kind of, uh, you know, bombastic action mixed with deep character drama that he tends to go for. Well, and, and that's an interesting thing because they talk about how it was kind of rudderless and no one really knew what the story was going to be and stuff. And it sounds like Marty... Yeah, it was committees that were writing it and then Marty came up with those nine plot points. And it's funny because the resonance of him saying, we have to save Sergeant Johnson at the end to in Halo 3, we have to kill these people <laughs> off. <laughs> yes. So that's... that's uh, Which, honestly, I would have been fine with if it hadn't been so lame. Same with Miranda as well. I was re- I'm was i still very upset yeah, about her Johnson death. less than Miranda. Is... Miranda, like... And that gets into my... I think my biggest issue with Halo 3 is that cutscene. The, the cutscenes in The Covenant and how they just seem weird on so many levels. Like, Miranda... It really feels like they were saying, we have to kill these people off, and they couldn't contrive the situation in a way that made total sense. Well, it's like... So Miranda busted in there with no clear plan. Like she didn't have any Marines in the back or anything like that. And like she didn't use the Pelican's guns. Yeah, like or that's weird. And then like they find Truth at the end, and Master Chief. All right. Well, first off, Johnson is just cradling Miranda, and tells Master <laughs> why Chief isn't he to beating the shit out of the Prophet of Truth. Well, and why isn't he turning off the halos? And Master Chief just saunters over, and turns off like the rings that are going to kill everyone imminently. <laughs> it's like something about this is just whacked out. It's odd. Yeah. And then of course you have the whole grave mind popping up to never reappear again. 
<laughs> but and truth getting infected by the flood as well. It's like when did that happen? Just hand wave, hand wave. Yeah, so I agree. So yeah, it's just it's sort of stuff that happens, and we just sort of take it as given because it it the presentation of the scene is good, and I feel that's Bungie kind of in a nutshell is. You know, if you look beneath the surface, there's a lot of flaws with their ideas, but the way in which they present them is reson- resonant enough that people will accept it. But the the Halo 3 stuff and talking about their, their terms of divorce from Microsoft lead into the fact that they basically had to three buckets. They describe it as things they had to give back. Um, and so at one point there was going to be this Chronicles game, like they were going to have Halo 4 was actually going to be the sequel to Halo 3, yep. which I don't remember if that was new or not. Yes, that was actually told to us back by uh, Marcus Leto back in 2010. Uh, 2010, 2011. Yeah, no, I remember because I referenced that article in a lot of arguments when it came to the natural kind oh, of quite, right. Yeah, now I remember. Now I remember, yeah, because they, they did mention yeah. at least at one point that it was going to be a sequel and then they went another way. Interestingly, when I spoke to Paul Russell, he said that uh, as far as Halo 4 went, the idea came up in the studio saying, shall we do Halo 4? They said no. And then that was the end of it. So that's a kind of a different story. I think those tweets are still up there. So um, it's a bit of a different story, depending on the perspectives of which employees. Well, talking, and, and that's, that's definitely a, a, the grain of salt to take with all of this is it is people re- recollecting things after the fact from a different perspective. So. Yeah. Like I, I would, I really wish they had talked to Jason Jones about this, like because I want to hear his his impression. Because everyone else kind of <laughs> maybe that's a that's the next thirty five thousand. Everyone else <laughs> kind of throws him under the bus in this. Like, yeah, Jason Jones screwed <laughs> us. But so they the the Chronicles is interesting, but it falls apart, and they that turns out to be ODST uh, filling that that bucket, and they 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 briefly mention. Um, I think an overarching thing about this too is that Bungie comes off worse, Microsoft comes off a little better, but then there's all these brief moments where they it's yeah, and then Microsoft was the giant parent company doing what giant parent companies do and doing stupid things. Yeah. Uh and they they briefly touched that on that with the fact that there's there's little things like how they uh according to Marty at some points they mentioned we had totally gone to legal with the name Dervish for the Arbiter, and then suddenly at the last minute they're like, "No, you have to change this. It's it's too similar to the Prophet of Islam, and you've got all these parallels going." Yes. But so they end up saying, "No, you're, this expansion you're going to do is going to be a full price game." And how it seems that they're still a little salty about like it would have been so much better received if it hadn't been that, which I I agree with. Um, yeah, I personally loved ODST. I still hold it in my favorite Halo games of all time. Um, and I, I honestly myself felt that I got my money's worth for the full price that I spent. Oh on yeah, it. totally. But it was interesting because uh, it's sort of that one shining light for the people who worked on it, isn't it? It's like they they said we had such a great time making this game, and then we had to, you know, we we had this hell that we had left behind us, this uncertainty of the future, and ODST was just this nice sort of intermediate period. Yeah, and it it kind of comes off from some of the recollections that it was sort of like the inside once again like sort of this afterthought at bungie like well you guys are doing that we don't it's not interesting it's not the new stuff we're gonna do it's who cares about that and those guys just had fun um put out i think one of the most consistent games especially the campaign it feels like greatest when they talk about reach being the the sort of recollections to the greatest hits of halo campaigns past i think odst totally is much better oh, odst was like it feels like that campaign was built from the ground up as a greatest hits of halo you know in terms of its mission structure its themes overall and how you approach the combat and it it, feel, it feels just wonderful to play compared to reach which i felt didn't have that same kind of spark to it personally mm-hmm. and they, they have a brief uh bit in here about um about Staten, who actually had a lot of interesting things to say about the Master Chief. Um, way back in the CE part, they mentioned that one of their specific references of what not to do was Gordon Freeman from Half-Life, uh, which has, <laughs> personally, as a guy who has never liked the series because Gordon Freeman is a mute, annoying, like, 
worthless character <laughs> was interesting <laughs> to hear them say like well we want to do something above that he's going to be quiet but he's still going to have some presence um and they mention talking about how they uh Staten really wanted to bring in more than just like grunting and stuff and have uh the character yeah. speak which they did through Dutch and all the other characters in ODST and that's an interesting bridge to uh where 343 ended up taking the Master Chief and Halo 4 and characters beyond that. Well, yeah, that's that's what I've been working on with my my most recent articles, the uh, the Master Chief stuff, because there's been, you know, such a mix of approaches to his character, which have been very inconsistent over the years. But And it's sort of the Halo 2, 3 period where it was other people who were, you know, working on that particular character, where it sort of fell apart, I feel, and people had this very specific idea of the chief that was almost like the Gordon Freeman kind of character in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, it was the ODST story is kind of this like ray of sunshine in the <laughs> the uh, realm of things. And another weird, like, again, like fan history. I mean, there are people who go on about Reach's story um, and they, they touch on this with Marty basically saying, yeah, they, they tried for too many things and just did not create resonant characters. I really appreciated that because um, Bungie, uh, I've been quite frustrated like back in when they would do their retrospectives because they would absolutely lambast Halo 2, but they would not say a bad word about Reach and they would not sort of um, reflect critically on it. They would just sort of recycle old clips from the Vidocs and be like, what do you think about this game in retrospective? It's been so divisive to the community and we're not really seeing their perspective on it. And finally, seven years later, here we've got Marty saying, you know, yeah, we didn't really deliver on this particular aspect. And I was just like, thank you. Yeah, and it really, um, <laughs> it's, it's weird that uh, they talk about reach is sort of like this obligation they had to do so it was clearly not what a lot of people wanted to do and there's this this subtle thing about well all the all the cool talent is going to destiny at the time but also and it's just weird because i think what what especially with uh, some of the the pitfalls of uh 343's games that like they release such at a time like crazy feature rich game like like oh man there's all this attention like all this these crazy custom games you got this firefight there's all this and like that never really comes up it's all like oh god we got to put out the stupid thing <laughs> for <laughs> obligations so it's an interesting dichotomy of like how a lot of people at bungie seem to feel about it versus how the fans received it yeah i mean uh i think what marty says is um the reach project was basically halo 4 in terms of uh, the pressure that the studio felt. It was Halo 4 in all but name in terms of, you know, what they were up against having to make. Oh, and uh, just one uh, other interesting tidbit uh, from the ODST part I wanted to bring out is that they have Joe Staten specifically mention the whole Sadie's story, Virgil, Dante's Inferno connection, which some people mm. uh, I know totally did not believe was intentional bizarrely uh, i don't know how you could not think that that was intentional it was so over and we, uh, we've got a lovely i liked about it we have a lovely article hosted that yeah. um, uh, someone wrote up exactly making that yeah it was a really good read at the time yeah. and it probably still is that uh that basically tied it all together yeah, to, to have to repost it like that was yeah like once you looked at it it's like oh it's totally there especially down to the yeah. uh the the sins for all the people they meet it's kind of crazy and how the ninth level uh, in Data Hive is frozen over. Yeah. Is, can you get more visually overt than that? <laughs> Hell isn't cold. What are you talking about? <laughs> Someone's got to read the original Italian. <laughs> oh. Um. So I think, uh, I don't know if you have anything else you want to mention about Reach, but I think it's an interesting wrap-up, um, like we were talking about, sort of bringing a new... Uh, new shading to the bungee story i think mm. than we got before yeah definitely uh yeah and then the story shifts over to the 343 side of things which for a couple of reasons i don't think is as interesting overall i don't know if you would disagree with that yes the uh, the halo 4 stuff i mean i kept up 
very closely with Halo 4's development because Halo 4 was a game that I had very much wanted to see and I very much liked the sound of from, you know, from the get-go. Uh, so there wasn't an awful lot of new... There was some new stuff in there. There was stuff that I knew. But Halo 4's development basically comes down to, you know, the base fact that we had to start this studio from scratch. We had to hire as we went. We were... Uh, we had... By the time the project finished, they had about 200 employees, whereas the average AAA studio has about 300, and it was chaotic. Yeah. That was the general gist, really, to take from Halo 4. It wasn't quite Halo 2-tier chaotic, because their ideas coalesced a lot more naturally, I think, on Halo 4. Um, but it was, you know, hell for the company. I, th- I think that it does... Um probably one of the most interesting uh, comments in retrospective is they, they have a little more about the pre the 343 side of the history is a bit sketchy because um, fans didn't really know 343 was a thing uh, by that yeah. name until I think it was the same time we got the release for Halo Legends, right? It was uh, Comic-Con. Around then, yeah. yeah um, but it was this thing Legends, Evolution, creeping think, around yeah. all the way back uh, in 2008. And they have a, a nice little bit sort of bridging the gap between Reach and 4, talking with that Frankie basically switched over because he liked Halo and he knew that Destiny <laughs> was going in this RPG MMO style thing that he was not interested <laughs> in. And Marty, in a alternate universe, might have ended up being the composer and it seems like it was a possibility but he just had at the time too much brand loyalty and was like what are you doing yeah you can't quit and he like tried to convince frank to stay on which is interesting well oh to be a fly on the wall during that conversation <laughs> would, have been, would have been interesting yeah and that um certain affinity itself actually was pitching uh some game ideas to Microsoft and 343 in the early time before a lot of it got shelved uh, for the games we ended up with. And the the push for uh, Waypoint actually <laughs> ended up shelving some of that stuff. Yeah, there's... Um, you know, the, Halo 4 needed all hands on deck, really, which is you know unsurprising as to why some of these things were shelved. Yeah, but I think the, the big uh, new... A wrinkle that this article adds to the story that, like you said, if you've been following, you know well, is that uh, we get a lot more from Ryan Payton, the one-time yes. creative director of Halo. And I think probably if I was going to pick like random things in Halo stories that had set off people like to go nuclear about things, was <laughs> I'm not sure when it was that we got some of the the Halo Four postmortem stuff. But there was, quote, akin to the fact that, all right, we were really tough as a studio. We were trying to get everyone together. And so we said, all right, we're going to, like, try and recreate this little chunk of perfect Halo. And we did that, and then we tossed it away. And at the time, people went apeshit about that. That it was like, oh that was actually God. in the, um, yeah, that was in the Return of the Forerunners Vidoc, actually, which came out before the game. Oh, yeah. They alluded to that particular instance, yeah, yeah. and they showed it and off. And people were like, oh my God, how could they? And so this adds the interesting wrinkle of uh, Ryan Payton, who was a Metal Gear Solid guy, um, and he has this great little quote about um, how uh, Hideo Kojima, like, basically just was interested in whether bullets could go could interact with the foliage on the Halo 3 level. I laughed and then about just it. walked away. Great. There's this subtle implication if you read between the lines that Microsoft was looking for talent and maybe just kind of picked this guy who was not ready for the role. Uh yeah. And they just saw, oh, well he's got this great pedigree and then did not actually pay attention to the qualifications or what was going on. Um but the the wrinkle that Ryan adds in his retelling is that everyone else was going for a quote unquote more traditional halo. And he was the one who really wanted to blow it up completely. Yeah. So you would have, of course that doesn't quite match the narrative of the time from the community where Peyton left, of course, uh, because, uh, his mother, I believe had passed away and he had suffered previously from depression. Um, but also he, uh, you know, had a, he said that he had a vision, Halo 4 that he didn't feel he was equipped enough to deliver and that 343 wanted to do something very different and 
you know how that sounds and how people are going to take that at face value, aren't they? It's like, oh, 343, you want to mess it all up. They want to do it completely different. When the reality is, it was the other way around, is that 343 wanted this very more traditional kind of halo. And Ryan Payton was the one who had a very different idea of where to take things. Yeah, and I think it it speaks to, I mean, this comes up all the time, especially um, in the 343 era where people have left for whatever reason. And it, it becomes this conspiracy theory between the fans of like, well, it's possible his job is done and like he's moving on, like, or is it bad blood yeah. or something? And so it's interesting to finally get an actual confirmation versus like what becomes like sort of the, the fan lore of what we think happened. Uh, yeah. So that was interesting. He alludes to uh, an idea of his that is in the game in Halo 5. He doesn't say outright what it is, but I believe that those would be the non combat missions that he's talking about. Yeah, that was an interesting thing that he apparently wanted um, entire sections of of Halo 4's campaign to not have combat, which Mm. my mind initially went to, what if you just like walked through the whole librarian's part at the beginning of Reclaimer? Um, Like if that whole cutscene had sort of been become a level instead. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember, I can't remember the source exactly, but there was, some years ago, the uh, somebody said that they had this idea that they would have a didact mission, which involved the stuff in the terminals uh, being explored by the player, and I, that that was very much what came to mind, because there are parts of Halo 4 where there's not a lot of combat, where you are sort of just walking around mm-hmm. between areas and exploring, and it would have been interesting to see you know, where they would have gone with that if they really sort of like doubled down on some of Peyton's ideas for where that was going to go. Honestly, I, I, I like those sections. Like the, um, yeah, so the, do I. The point right before the librarian cutscene in Reclaimer, I think, is probably of all the games, the closest I get to coming back to that Halo 1 feeling of like what the heck's going on and like this wonder and exploration of just kind of wandering through these corridors that feel a lot like uh, some of the the original Halo CE sort of monolithic areas. Um, yeah, for, for me, it's uh, in the second mission, Requiem, where you enter the uh, the cartographer room for the first time. You know, you walk up that little walkway, the Sentinels appear, uh, Legacy from the soundtrack starts playing, which is my favorite Halo track still. Uh, you've got that, you know, that choir, and then you've got this uh, beautiful cathedral-like structure being retaken by nature, uh, around sort of like one area and there's you know all the covenant dead bodies around there's uh the eld glyph where you can scan that and you learn about the mantle mm-hmm. it's just one of those beautiful world exploring sections that i really felt halo 4 did really quite a good job with yeah um so it's interesting to to hear those little bits about what might have been but then it, it leads to like basically all right well Ryan was gone and Josh Holmes came in and kind of performed a Zebra Hero thing and it turned out better than anyone thought it had any right to be. <laughs> That's what, one thing I noticed actually in uh, the 343 part especially is that uh, they seem a lot more sort of amicable towards one another. They're a lot more sort of receptive to... Um, you know, each other's ideas in a way that's not quite as overtly hostile as it seemed the Bungie way sort of went. And that's one of the, I think, where the, to me, the, the 343 era stuff just doesn't have as much meat, partially because, like, yeah, these people are, at least at the time, uh, everyone was still working together, like, and it's recent, so it's kind of harder to get, it's kind of unfair to compare like the level of candor that the Bungie guys have with what we get from the three, four, three section, just because it's totally different circumstance in a lot of ways. You know, as I said, not as much drama going on, not as much, uh, difficulty improving the series existence. Rather, they've got the, you know, the trouble of banding together to prove the need for its continued existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, the, the final short little bits, uh, which, considering this was done a year ago, makes sense that they're so abbreviated, briefly just glosses over uh, Master Chief Collection and Halo 5. Yeah, we uh, we don't have a lot on we, that. Obviously, fans want more. Um, 
but we're gonna have to wait for part two of this or whatever um yeah all that uh that list frankie promised of you know the breakdown of reasons for why things were the way they were <laughs> that was promised some three years ago yeah well and that gets into the the thing of like how how much candor are you going to get when like this is not an official microsoft thing and these guys are still employed by them like eh. especially with the the master chief collection stuff i think uh bonnie ross gave a much more detailed and like long mea culpa this is totally our fault it was stupid of us we're gonna have betas going forward uh talk than anything in this about the master chief collection specifically and that's why they've lived and also the the other interesting thing i think uh was josh holmes uh actually mentioned gives the the interesting uh quote that they were talking about how they realized if they're going to do warzone they still needed the arena uh and learning the mistakes from halo 4's multiplayer Hmm. uh but uh but having both of these in one game was a mistake (laughs) and what you take from that is interesting because warzone has clearly made them a lot of money it ain't going nowhere (laughs) so so if you're definitely the the beat classic btb fan this might worry you which is a shame yeah because i've been worried for years which is it is one of the weirdest the weird little quirks too of like going from halo 4 to halo 5 was i remember when people were complaining so much about how halo 4 btv was how all they were focusing on it was the most popular mode <laughs> and then in halo 5 <laughs> everyone was complaining about how it's all forged maps and no one cares about btv over there etc so that's kind of funny it's just like it's like they can't you know they can't win <laughs> no matter what they do well and that's uh that's uh, i think they sort of close out uh they have Jamie uh, Grissomir come back and he kind of brings up the fact that like, yeah, the, the overarching theme of this article is game development is hard. Jamie, uh, it's interesting that he mentions basically he thinks that 343 should push it harder and that he thinks that they've sort of hosed themselves by sticking too much to what they think Bungie would have done, which is yeah. an interesting perspective that... I think lots of fans would not agree with as they yell about. Bro- so that was an interesting little Certainly line not, from yeah. a bungee person. Like, <laughs> no, don't do that. Um. Yeah, back in um, 2014, 15, one of the E3s then, he was, uh, him and Marty did an interview, and he, he said very much the same thing, that uh, what he hopes 343 will do with Halo is that they will push it forward. They will do something different. And that's sort of his been his sort of idea of a prerequisite yeah, for the, the it's series' also, quality. To it's interesting. Continue. On the other hand, it also is easy for him to say because he's not focused on the same thirty seconds of fun kind of thing. If you build a series on that, people kind of expect that same base experience. <laughs> Otherwise, they get cranky. Indeed. Well, I mean, even Bungie sort of, you know, when they made their, they made strays and uh, people complained very much about it. I remember when Reach was shown off at E3 in 2010, they showed off the space battle. There was even kind of a backlash against that. So it's something that uh, mm-hmm. even Bungie wasn't, you know, Which, foreign to. Looking at Reach now, I'm like, the space battle was like the least big change. And I'm like, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I was always a fan of it. It felt very much like uh, the old Rogue Squadron games. They nailed the sort of similar feel in terms of control, and oh, so good. My issue, yeah, but my my issue with that, I was actually thinking about this earlier, specifically the difference between Reach and Halo 4's space stuff, is that Reach is, is the same every single time over, you know, the same enemies, the same long periods of waiting around for enemies to spawn, the same sort of like, you know, not really much to do there. Whereas Four's broadsword run, you know, it's a classic kind of trench run. It's got more of a sort of like immediate mood to it. There's various sort of routes you can go. It's more linear. It's more contained slice, but there's more that they can sort of do with that. I feel than there yeah, was with reaches. The, the comparison to Rogue Squadron came. versus Halo Four is much more like a Star Fox or an Iridian or like any of those those shooter screen like just 
yeah. you got your Disney path and it's avoiding projectiles and going at it that way. It's definitely, definitely a different perspective, but I would like more space combat. But then that gets into the whole, yeah. like, hey, you could have a Halo space combat game. <laughs> that wouldn't be a shooter. We almost, we almost did with, with Chronicles. And they certainly prototyped uh, prototyped it for Reach as well, which was shown in the uh, the deleted content video that they did mm-hmm. some years ago. Mm. Oh, wasn't that one of the, the haunters that you could ride or something and control a hunter? Yeah, you could ride Moas. Like, you uh, could do Moa jousting. Like Will. That didn't happen. Yeah. And they had those huge brute chieftains what as I, well for, it's weird for some reason. What I really love about the Halo 2 armor is like that the elites had that arrowhead shaped profile and then in all the other games they started washing it down. Yeah. No, like also then everything on legendary you like almost never seen elite minor. <laughs> They're all the like annoying ones that drop kick you as soon as you try and go for melee. Yeah, I think the Covenant really sort of lost their de- design philosophy in a way from uh, from Halo 1 and 2 because going back and having replayed those games very recently, as I often do, the difference between how the Covenant plays is it's, pretty I mean, staggering, to be honest. Where, like, man, like, I remember when people were, like, Halo2sucks.com, like, people were crazy about how drastic the changes were. And now it's kind of like, oh, well, there were some changes, but the changes in Halo 5 are drastic. And it's like, we've gone through this every single game about, like, yeah, how much have they changed? Like, how much does it mean in the grand scheme of things? It's mm. just the eternal fan cycle of hype and disappointment and outrage. Naturally, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've sort of, yeah, I've grown very much indifferent to it because it used to, it used to be something that would sort of tick me off. But it's just sort of like, yeah, we're going through the motions again. I feel like this sort of like this old man sat in a rocking chair just looking at these, you know, just looking at a bunch of people having a tantrum over these things. And we've gotten used to it because we've lived through it so many okay. times. Do we have anything else you want to cover then? I think we. Uh, is there any other? There, there was some Halo 5 stuff, wasn't there? There was um, not an awful lot because. But this was. We've not had an awful lot of Halo 5 post-mortem stuff at all in the year and a half that it's been since that uh, particular I mean, game came well, out, especially well, where the story's concerned. Yes, and we know you have some bugbears there. Um, uh, uh, well, I maybe think that's definitely two. something we'll either directly before Halo 6 comes out or after Halo 6 comes out is when we'll start seeing the, the floodgates, if not open, just yes. slowly leak out. Uh It'll be interesting to see. And um... I suppose that brings us to the question of when oh, do you well, reckon that's going to be? As we are recording, and I, I assume, unless I'm crazy, this will be out. Oh, actually, what time is E3? E3 is coming up, right? <laughs> Next week, I Yeah, think. maybe. Next week or a week after. Okay, depending on when you hear this, listeners, I might have been really fast with editing or really lazy. In which case, you will know more than us, but I'm going to guess Halo 6 doesn't get anything more than just basically like name drop teaser, if anything. Why don't we just announce it with a cinematic trailer that has no relevance to the main game like they always do? Because thus far, it seems that uh, E3 this year is going to be another Halo light year in that we're getting some glimpse at Halo Wars 2 campaign DLC and not much else. Which, I'm excited for Halo Wars 2 campaign DLC. Yeah, same here. I really enjoyed Halo Wars 2, and I've got my level-by-level analysis coming up at some point uh, in the near future, hopefully, which will be a project. To I can't wait for uh, Kiki to come out and tell us all about the amazing Halo TV show that's being worked <laughs> on, and we'll find out more details soon. Eh? <laughs> I mean, it has been... I was. It was one of those things where, like, all right, it's totally not dead because they keep on, like, specifically mentioning it, but I think, like, the last time they specifically mentioned it was now, like, maybe late 2015, so it's now entirely possible it is dead. You know... It, I honestly the think they keep... good if it's happening. I honestly, I honestly think they just, just wheel Kiki out to remind everyone <laughs> about the TV show and then wheel her back out in the backstage. Like, every year, it's just... Do we need Wheel Art again? Okay, there we go. Potter Art. Halo TV! Bye. Well, it was, it, was, uh, it was Bonnie who originally announced it, I think, on stage, E3 2014. 
So, yeah, like, why bother? Why bother okay. doing that? It's like, have you got something to show? Do you have a trailer for us? No, don't, sh- don't fucking talk about it then. <laughs> okay, well, so that's that's the, the, the like, pie-in-the-sky hope is that there's a, a Spielberg Halo TV trailer. Like, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> it could happen. I can't wait for more big-name directors. They can, they can attach the projects that never come out. Like, just think about all these directors who are not currently doing halo who could not do halo again in the future well well wait 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 think about take this for a second steven spielberg okay ridley scott uh-huh, okay uh-huh. who's the uh-huh, obvious yeah, third yeah. person we're missing that's right george lucas halo production <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah uh, uh. the spartan's power is actually caused by midi chlorians and uh, i can <laughs> I, I can imagine Cody Miller getting fired up by another is not canon website. <laughs> <laughs> Halo the prequel trilogy is not canon.net. <laughs> oh, good. No, I expect to see Halo E3 in some form. Uh, if they come to showing Halo Wars 2 shit, no one's going to care. Like, don't, don't make Halo <laughs> any more irrelevant than it currently is, please, by doing that. Announce a numbered game. That's all you have to do. It's not hard. Okay. Well, anything else you want to do before we wrap up? I think we've uh, we've covered all the bases there, haven't we? Pretty much. Okay, then. Then we'll close things out. Thanks for being on. I assume you would like to tell people where they can see your writings and such? Well, I frequent... Uh, the Halo Archive I have done for many years, which is you know sort of my main my mainstay for the community, and I of course have my own blog website at harrisbiz.wordpress.com, where I will be rolling out hopefully soon a analysis of the Master Chief's characterization in Halo Four, and we've got the Halo Wars Two level by level analysis coming up in the near future, so stay tuned for that. And we've got a few things in the pipeline on our side, too, so stay tuned for that. And thanks a lot, Heropsis, for joining us. No problem. Uh, you can check us out, forwardontodon.com. Uh, the show notes will be at forwardontodon.com slash fudcast22. You can check us out on Twitter at forwarddon and at YouTube at forwarddon. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>